The last time I broadcast, I talked about how to keep it simple with Twitter. Just think about what you are following or who you are following or who's following you, what the type of content is that you are retweeting or tweeting yourself or sharing or commenting on. It all matters. Being careful, consistent, and considerate with your Twitter feed are kind of the rules of the road. I was lecturing to a college class this week, and in the course of the lecture, I was supposed to talk to the students about a professional social media presence. And I asked the students, how many of you, this is a class of maybe 25 students, how many of you have a Facebook page? And maybe a third of the hands in the room went up. I said, okay. How many of you have a Twitter account? And maybe half of the room uh, hands went up. I said, how many of you uh, have a Twitter account, but you don't really use it? And a fewer hands came up, but still, you know, showed that a number of these people, mostly young people in the classroom, had a Twitter account, and they used it to their understanding frequently enough. So now I want to ask you a real differentiating question. How many of you use your Twitter account or have a Twitter account for your profession or to further your career? No hands went up. Now, you may be saying to yourself that that was kind of a set-up question. In a way, you'd be right. The truth is, I didn't really expect any of the students in that room to have a Twitter that they had dedicated for their career or even thought about using Twitter professionally, although I really would have been delighted to be wrong and to have somebody in there that had thought ahead for their next move. In any case... It still pertains to just about anybody out there. A lot of us use social media as some kind of a recreational device to connect with friends or follow our interests and whatnot. We don't really think about social media being something that can really help us in our career field, either as a business owner or somebody who may be looking for work in the future. I saw a study online recently that said that a high percentage of people who are looking for candidates will check their social media life before they make the decision. I mentioned this to the class that I met this week, and I asked them, I said, why do you think a potential employer might look at your social media habits before they decide to hire you? And one girl said, uh, to see how we spend our free time. And I said, exactly, right? They, they want to know what it is you're doing with your time when you're not uh, at work or in school. Uh, what kind of activities do you enjoy? What kind of interests do you have? So if you put your personal Twitter f profile on your resume, then chances are that whatever comes up, or if they even just search for you, do a Google search, your Twitter feed may come up in that search result. So it's almost as bad not to have a Twitter at all than to have one that is full of things that may be appropriate to your personal interests and hobbies, but may not be that great to shine a face on you as a candidate. My suggestion is and always is that you should have a professional Twitter account. 
It should be separate from your personal account, and it should be one that you publicize for the point of either trying to get a job or letting somebody know that you're wanting to work with in the future, that you are aware of what's happening in the field and that you know what's going on and that you are up to date and are prepared to dialogue about anything going on in your career path. The takeaway is this. You really should have a professional social media presence, particularly on Twitter, for you to broadcast what you're about. Now, the first question that I get asked whenever I mention this to someone, either a college student who's just starting out or even a professional who has not given Twitter enough credit, is, well, what would my professional profile look like? Or how would that be different than my personal profile or any other number of questions that you might ask. And the answer to that is super simple, really. It's that Twitter already is populated with enough information and sources and organizations and individuals in your field, no matter what your field is, to certainly give you enough fodder for things that you can share, retweet, and comment about with ease. So let's say, for example, that you are in the health sciences field. You're a nurse or a nursing assistant or a doctor or anything. It doesn't matter. Um, Your professional Twitter should be replicated as things that would be representative of your work in that field. You may follow the um, American Medical Association on Twitter. You may follow uh, the American Cancer Society. You may follow... Um, doctors or research hospitals or the CDC or specific doctors that you know of that are uh, reputable or important in your field. Uh, Anything having to do with uh, health science and um, health and medicine is a good source out there. Time Magazine does a lot of good health reporting. The Atlantic does good health reporting. The Economist sometimes has good health reporting. So It's not incumbent that you come up with material yourself necessarily um, to have a professional Twitter, but you could certainly borrow from what's already out there and just forward it under your banner, and now look how smart you are. The second question I get asked is, how often should I be on Twitter then for my professional Twitter feed? And my answer to that is, again, It depends on your frequency of how comfortable you are with the platform, how much time you have to dedicate to this. And this may sound like a lot to some, depending on how much you tweet typically. But I would say tweet twice a day, or at least be on the platform twice a day. Like a post, retweet a post, share a post, comment on a post. Commenting goes a long way, because instead of just kind of generically forwarding information that comes into your feed and just spawning it on. If you comment on that, people read those comments. And if you have something to say that's worthwhile or is subjective or is interesting or is supportive, then uh, you get a lot of followers that way. People want to follow people. They don't want to follow, you know, robots on Twitter that just manufacture information. So that is my tip for this week is if you're going to get started on Twitter uh, professionally, then you really need to start thinking about 
um, what your Twitter feed should look like. Think about some organizations, uh, some institutions. You can even search hashtags if you are into uh, emergency medicine, for example, or if you're a medic. Uh, you could do hashtag medic or hashtag ER and search Twitter that way. And you'll find a ton of content out there of other people who are in that field who are putting really great content out there. Some of it may be very humorous and lighthearted. Some of it may be very serious and some of it may be academic and scholarly and some of it may not. But in any case, the, the fact is that by participating at that level, you are now putting yourself in the same field with those individuals uh, and making yourself look pretty daggone smart to uh, future clients, to future employers, and to your colleagues. So, as always, you can follow me on Get Me Michael Mack on Twitter. My professional Twitter is Get Me Michael Mack. Instagram, Pinterest, and LinkedIn, all at Get Me Michael Mack. And my Facebook page is Michael Mack here, Digital Marketing, facebook.com slash Get Me Michael Mack. Uh, my email is Get Me Michael Mack at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you soon. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for me, please let me know. I'm always uh, open to hear how your experience of this podcast is going. In the meantime, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. I've talked before on this podcast about how commenting is the public relations of social media and how email marketing and video marketing are changing digital marketing for small businesses, entrepreneurs, and individuals. And I think it's also important to note on a more macro level, not so much on a platform-by-platform basis, but from a bird's-eye view, how drastically digital marketing, advertising, and public relations has changed in a really relatively short period of time that in a very short period of time, we've seen some drastic changes in the way that people present their products, their concepts, their ideas, their content, their worth, their value, and how those models of delivering that information are changing very quickly. And it, it can seem overwhelming and daunting at times to think, how can I possibly keep up or compete when there's so much information out there, there's so much material out there, There's so many entities. How do I know I'm doing the right things? How do I know I'm putting my resources in the right areas? And I totally get that. I totally get that in a big way as somebody who works and has worked in creative communication for over 20 years and has counseled clients on digital marketing and strategy and campaign building and development and, you know, the rest. Uh, I, I know how perplexing as well as complex these problems are and so I just want to speak to that this time with you and just talk a little bit about where I've seen digital marketing coming from since I started in the business and more importantly where I see digital marketing going not in the future but today right now and moving forward I want to share a quick story with you from my early career in creative communication because I really think it will give you a sense of time and place and where the industry was when I came in from my point of view and how that industry has changed over the past 20 years and why the predictions that I'm going to be making for you today 
I think have legs as to why the industry is trending in the direction it is and what you can do to not just be reactive and trying to continually keep up, but maybe actually get ahead of the curve and see the changes coming for yourself. So my story is this. When I was still in college, I was living in Columbus, Ohio, and I got my first job working for an agency as a a junior designer at that agency. And that particular agency that year was going to the National Association of Broadcasters Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's a huge conference. It's gigantic. It's thousands of people go every year from the broadcast industry and radio and television and film uh, to see what is going to be coming up as far as equipment and software and trends and whatnot in the industry of broadcasting. And the agency that I was working for was doing video production as well as print advertising. And they wanted to go and see what was going to be the future of uh, video editing and video software and that sort of thing. Now, I was fortunate in that although I was a junior designer, the agency actually paid for me to go to Las Vegas and attend the conference for four days, pay for my meals, pay for my room. Uh, It was an amazing opportunity for me as a young professional because I could never dream of going to a a conference of that scope, certainly not having anything of real value to offer. And they told me when they got me the ticket, I thought, I've really hit the lottery on this one. I mean, my gosh, these guys are going to pay for me to go to Las Vegas for four days to this conference. I mean, this is awesome. What, What can I do to add value to this trip? And they said, well, so glad you asked. It's real simple. While we're out there, we want you to go around to all the different vendors. Uh, They'll all have their own booths. Some will be very large, open booths. Some will be very small. But we want you to just kind of keep your eyes open and bring your bag with you, your little tote bag. And we want you to bring every piece of print collateral that you find of value or worth from that conference. Put that in your bag, bring an empty suitcase, and then we're going to fill that suitcase up with collateral and you're going to fly that back to Ohio after the conference. Well, I'm not asking any tough questions at this point because I want to go to Las Vegas. I said, sure. So I got an extra suitcase, uh, checked it at the airport, flew it out to Vegas, and they weren't kidding. By the time I had left that conference, four days later, I was just enriched with material from all those different vendors. So many inspiring things at the time talking about the future of video conferencing and 3D modeling coming in the future and these different wild concepts that, you know, I'm, I'm just about to graduate from college. These were things that I was not privy to at the time. It was just amazing. So I came home, I brought my suitcase to work, I dumped out my suitcase, and I'm pouring over all of this print collateral and trying to make sense of it, trying to synthesize what it is that I'm looking at, what it is that these companies are doing and where the industry is heading in the future and that I hope to be a part of it. I hope that I can find a way to read these tea leaves in a way that will give me some insights as to how I might capitalize and be somebody in my industry that not only is just playing along and going along in my own career, but really you know, trying to stay ahead of the pack. Now, I was 21 years old at the time, or thereabouts, and uh, pretty ambitious, but the lessons remain the same. Uh, No matter what 
part of your career you're in, and no matter what age you are now, and no matter how long you've been doing this or not, or even if you haven't started your career, now is the time to start reading these tea leaves, start getting the information together that you can use to improve your facilitation of content and information and programming your brand for future success. Uh, I was so, so lucky that I got to go to that conference to get those materials and get a sneak peek from my perspective as to what was coming down the road. And a lot of things that I saw at that conference in 2000 uh, over the past 20 years have come to pass. There wasn't a whole lot of hyperbole in there. Uh, a lot of the technology that they were forecasting was coming has certainly landed now. So having said that, um, I'm going to start there. So start with 2000 and tell you that at that time, print was the driver. Everything we did was for print primarily. Uh, if you did anything that was video content, it was going to go on a CD-ROM. I don't think DVD-ROMs were out yet. And uh, so video was still a pretty expensive prospect and certainly something that had to be delivered hand by hand. You put it on CD, you burn the CD, you hand it off to a customer, customer puts the CD in their drive, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very manual kind of lethargic process. So that's the first leg of digital marketing from my perspective. I came in a time when print was still a big deal. And so let's go from there and let's talk about the web 1.0. The next round of this came when it became apparent in short order after I had graduated from college and swore off the internet as being uh, a failure of design that the internet has always had a prospect which makes it very appealing for digital marketing or for marketing in general in that it's almost free. Uh, you can promote yourself, you can promote your company, you can promote your products and services at almost no cost on the internet. Um, and if you have any experience, knowledge, and expertise in web design and e-commerce, then you could do really amazing things online uh, at very little cost. And that has not changed. This is 20 years later, and the internet is still ridiculously cheap uh, as far as investing in resources for the amount of return that you get. Uh, the problem with print has always been and always will be, that it's a static format, it's a static medium, meaning that once I print that brochure, no matter how great it looks, at some point, it will probably be out of date. Something within the copy of my brochure, or my catalog, or my products, or my photography, or something, the contact information will change, and that now becomes a dead piece of material that does not serve me any further, right? So print is valuable and that is tangible, but it's also lacking value because it's static. The other thing that we noticed real quickly about the internet, which changed things in digital marketing was that it was very fast to make changes. If something changed within the environment of which we were working, you could get online and change that copy. You could change the price. You could change the phone number and hit update and voila, it was immediate. You didn't have to wait. You didn't have to send out new copies to people. Um, at that time, CD-ROMs were very popular, and you could uh, put together CD-ROM technology with embedded documents and fancy menus and DVD menus and that kind of stuff. 
I did a lot of that work at the time. Uh, but even that was clumsy and static because once you burn that CD or once you burn that copy of that DVD, it's sealed. That's the end of that. You can't go back and, and unring that bell. But with the internet and with websites, you could always tweak your content and make it match what you needed it to be at that time. And that has not changed. That is still true today as it was in 2002. And that's the good news is that uh, digital marketing has proven to be very effective in that regard because it's still ridiculously cheap to produce your information for the internet, uh, at least to get it out there in front of people. Now, getting it seen is a whole other story, but actually producing material and getting it out there for the world to see, it's never been cheaper than it is now. And it's getting cheaper all the time. So that was the next round of the internet was understanding that websites are necessary. Websites can be attractive, right? They're not gonna be high functioning yet, but they can be attractive and that it's some place that people want to go to get information. This is in the information age of internet design and internet marketing. So we're gonna kind of go off onto the tail end of information marketing and start getting into social marketing next. Okay, so by around 2008, uh, I had started teaching classes uh, where I went to school at Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus, Ohio. I was teaching in the continuing education program and I was teaching Photoshop and teaching students now how to make their own websites in Photoshop and then bringing those websites into Dreamweaver and publishing them online. That now we're at a point where the technology is possible with the advent of broadband internet, uh, some advancements in HTML, uh, using slices and slicing your images in Photoshop, uh, HTML becoming much more WYSIWYG than it used to be, didn't have to do as much hand coding as you did in the early days. And so these are all advances that's making it possible for people to do web design. Again, you have to have the expertise, you have to have the talent, you have to have the knowledge. But it's something that you can begin to walk up to and do yourself and begin to broadcast your ideas and thoughts to the world uh, about what it is that you have to offer. Now, I mentioned in the last segment that this was really still in the information age of internet and web design. And what I meant by that was that at that point, the internet was really largely just a virtual booth of a trade show. Every website that you visited, and I'm being large when I say this, but it's true. Every website that you visited was basically a vendor's booth for that business. You'd have a homepage that says, welcome to our booth. And you'd have something that says what we do, who we are, contact us, right? These, these really informative things, our specials, what makes us different, you know, in these, these different things. And this was the basis for all web design. It didn't matter if it was a large corporation like IBM or Coca-Cola, or if it was for a small business. I worked with small businesses. Uh, I worked with a number of businesses in Columbus at the time. Um, I taught students how to put their own photography, you know, the personal photography online and build websites for, you know, their photo business or whatever. Uh, but really, this was just expositional design. All you're doing is designing for the intent of someone to show up to the door and get information, and then the call to action will be, please call me or email me. Please call me or please email me. Or, if it could be real Stone Age about it, 
uh, please mail me at this address. That's back when you still had physical addresses on websites because people might still want to go just visit your location in person. Okay. So the question becomes, okay, what changed? So we're now in the age of e-commerce. We're now in the age of people are selling things online. eBay is becoming to come online. I imagine Amazon is online at this point. People are buying and selling books online and whatnot. But there was a hole in the internet that had yet to be filled. And at the same time that this came about, and I find this to be a kind of an interesting prospect that I want to pass on to you. You may find this interesting as well in like a aha sense. But at that point, another company was up and coming uh, that didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal and turned out to be a huge deal and is still a huge deal today. And that company is Starbucks. Now, what does coffee and espresso and internet history have to do with one another? Well, quite a bit because... Uh, a few years ago, I was reading um, a book by Kevin Roberts, who is the S, uh, CEO of uh, Sachi and Sachi Worldwide, called. Um, oh gosh, what was his book called? Shoot, I got it on my bookcase at home. I can't remember the name of it now. Oh man, Love Marks. Love Marks is the name of the book. It's a really good book. If you're interested in uh, brand development and branding, I'd recommend Love Marks. I'm going to do a uh, podcast soon on books I'd recommend. And that's one. That's still a good one. That's a real good one. So Kevin Roberts, Love Marks. Beautiful book. Really informative. Good stuff. So in that, and in the course of my reading that book and some other things I was reading, um, I was reading about how Starbucks became such a mega popular uh, destination for people. Why on earth did they become the gargantuan uh, retail casual dining environment that they've become how on earth could they do this why did they do this why did they succeed where others did not and I saw an interview that they did with I believe it was the chief of their marketing at the time or their CEO one somebody very high up in the organization and he said Starbucks is the third space in public he said, third, Starbucks is the third space and he says, that's why Starbucks works so well and it's always worked so well and will continue to work is because it's the third space. And now <clears throat> you're probably wondering, what does that mean? If you've not heard that, that phrase before, what he was saying was that in life, you typically have three spaces that you are two occupy. I'm sorry. You typically have two spaces that you occupy. You live at work and you live at home. And that's generally true. Either you get up in the morning and you go to work or school, and then at night you generally come home. Now, you may spend some time out doing other things, eating out or going to movies or shopping or walking in the park or what have you. But typically, you don't spend you know, a lot of free time in those other areas of your life. And so Starbucks found that there was a hole in the lives of users uh, of public space, that they wanted some place that they could go and hang out and be and meet and work and read and study and talk and chat and um, people watch that was convenient, that was comfortable, that was elegant, and that was accessible. And so Starbucks filled that third space of people's lives. It was the third space. It wasn't work. 
it wasn't home, it was Starbucks. And if you think about that, those terms, it really does work. I could think of a number of times when I was visiting a city uh, that I wasn't familiar with, and I'd say, geez, if I could just find a Starbucks, I know I could find a table with a power outlet and a cup of coffee and some Wi-Fi, and I could do work for a couple hours in between what I'm doing. Um, I've had meetings with clients at Starbucks. I've had meetings with people who wanted to hire me at Starbucks. I've had meetings with friends that I'm friends with, but we're not like really close at Starbucks. And it serves all those purposes. I mean, I spend enough time at Starbucks to, to see how it works and will continue to work that way in the future. Okay, so this brings up the next question. What does Starbucks have to do with the internet? We're going to talk about the next segment, which is the invention of the web 2.0 in social media. You know, I've gotten so excited talking about the history of web design and the rise of digital marketing with you on this podcast that I completely forgot to say thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast I sincerely hope that you find this useful and uh, furthering your career path and remaining uh, in your professional career as we face the automation and AI economy. Uh, If you like what you hear on this podcast, you can check out my digital marketing tips blog at uh, michaelmackdigitalmarketing.com. You can follow me on Twitter at getmemichaelmack. Follow me on Instagram at getmemichaelmack. And um, if you have any comments or questions, or if you found something that you've heard on this podcast that's working for you or you'd like to hear more about, uh, you can send me an email at getmemichaelmack at gmail.com. I also want to real quickly just say uh, if you are a podcast listener, and you probably are if you're listening to me now, uh, there's another great podcast out there that I just came across recently, uh, a guy named Matt Hogger who is also from West Virginia, where I'm from. It's a small, small state, so it's a small world. Uh, Does a great podcast on Anchor called Careful Tech and uh, does a real nice job, short bursts, podcasts about technology, uh, good show, and uh, maybe something you want to check out if you're looking for something to occupy your headspace. Careful Tech, check that out and check out Matt's podcast. does a good job. Okay, enough of that. Follow me on Twitter at GetMeMichaelMack. And let's talk about the next leg of digital marketing. Okay, so we're going to get back to the point, which is that Starbucks became the third space. It wasn't work. It wasn't home. It was Starbucks. It's some place for you to occupy online that you would spend your time. I'm sorry, the place that you'd occupy in the rural world and hang out and do work and meet people and make connections and read and study and all the rest, okay. Um, At this point, online does not have that same equivalent. The closest we have are message boards where somebody can leave a message uh, on some strain of the internet uh, and have other people comment on that message or topic and it goes on and on and on. Uh, Reddit has now fulfilled this occupancy online. There are people who spend a great deal of time on Reddit uh, looking at articles, posting articles, commenting, etc. And um, I have absolutely zero interest in Reddit. I don't pay attention to Reddit. It's nothing against Reddit. If you're way into it, good for you. I really don't care. So, uh, but that's, that's one of those things. That's the, kind of the democratization of digital media 
is that you could be way into to Reddit and I may not be, and that's totally cool. We live in completely separate worlds. Now, what also came up at the same time was the uh, invention of social media, and particularly Facebook. When Facebook first came online, uh, people kind of lost their minds in a way because it's the first time that you had the equivalent of Starbucks where you weren't just posting messages, you weren't just putting darts out there and having other people dart back to you somewhere in the world. You were literally virtually connecting with people that you know or have known in the past or are connected to or related to in the real world online. It was a huge concept. It was a huge game changer. It is still a huge game changer. And so uh, I remember when I first got on Facebook, I would stay up way past midnight and have to force myself to go to sleep and then wait to get off work and then run home at night and get back on Facebook and spend hours on Facebook, just hours and hours, because I was connected with people I went to high school with, relatives that I barely knew I had, friends of friends, friends of friends of friends, people who liked the same obscure books or movies that I liked. Um, It was just a free-for-all. People were kind of going nuts. People had thousands of friends on Facebook. And it was just a real experimental time when we completely disregarded personal privacy. We did not consider the implications of pouring all of our personal information, data, and lives into a single platform which was privately owned. And we did not think, gee, I wonder what could ever happen to this data. They'll never use this against us. Famous last words, right? Well, Facebook, in short order, realized that they had an incredible database of material that had never existed online before. That even the U.S. Census had never collected the kind of information. The federal government did not have the kind of information on you that Facebook had and has. Because, one, you gave it to them willingly and freely, right? You gave Facebook your information for free. In return, they gave you access to the platform. And two, you were literally sharing your life online. You're not just putting messages out there about an interest of what you have. You're literally sharing significant life events that you're experiencing in real time on a private platform. The birth of a child, your wedding, your vacation, your, you know, prom, whatever it is, um, your lunch that day, you're putting your political beliefs on there, you're putting your personal beliefs on there, your spiritual belief system, you're telling Facebook what religion you are, what your hobbies are, what your social interests are, Um, just an amazing, amazing amount of information that we freely gave away, uh, not realizing, I think at the time, kind of naively, that this was really going to come back and not be as a happy ending as we'd hoped. So Facebook rightly sees what they have in their hands and says, oh my God, we have this incredible personal information of millions of people all over the world that we can now take the data, this raw data, and then parse it out and then give it as access to sell advertising to advertisers online. This is brilliant. Oh my God, we're geniuses. So sure enough, they have come up with a model for selling ad space on Facebook, which is really, really smart, really smart. And this is what makes it different. This is how social media changed 
not just how we spend time online and how we occupy our time online, but also how we are advertised to and how we advertise online. So with Facebook advertising, if you've not tried it yourself, uh, you certainly are subject to it. If you've not realized, if you spend any time on Facebook at all, you have now, I can almost guarantee you've been a subject of being advertised to on Facebook. So any company of any size can spend a few dollars, relatively small amount of money, and they can target you by your gender, age, income level, level of education, sports interests, political leanings, your zip code. Um, I mean, just about anything you can think of. What books you read, what movies you watch, what music you like. All that information that you put on Facebook has now been packaged and sold. And now you are a product which is being sold back to. Now, that's the way it works, right? They give you access. And in return, you've given them our, your personal information. I have to. I've done it too. So, that's a game changer. Because before that, and leading up to this, advertising was still very much a... And digital marketing was a black hole. In that, it was a case of... I'm going to spend money to advertise online, typically in banners online banners for websites and I'm going to try to put banners in front of people on websites that hopefully correlate with my product not only will they see the banner they'll click on the banner not only will they click on the banner they'll click through my website not only will they click through my website which is my virtual convention booth online hi welcome to our booth would you like to buy our products of course you would enter your credit card here right real dumb so then they give you a credit card. Then they purchase, and you get this over and over again, and it's really, really clunky. So what social media marketing has done has been able to uh, maximize your potential of reaching the right person on a platform where they spend a lot of time anyway, and they're more likely to react to your ad, probably because they're not um, reading content on some blog or on some other commercial website. They are looking at content on a site that they are deeply invested in because that's where their family and friends live. That is a huge, huge change. Huge change. Now, that's one of the two ways that social media really changed digital marketing forever. So I want you to understand that. Number one was that they can now... Twitter does this. Instagram does this, which is also owned by Facebook. If you didn't know that, Instagram is owned by Facebook. Same company. Uh, Pinterest does this. You can sell space on Pinterest. And you can dial down your audience down to the specific pins that they like to get in front of your audience for a really relatively small price. Really, it's a small amount of money you have to invest to get in front of uh, your message in front of people on these platforms. LinkedIn does it that um, you can really target. And that's very, very powerful because the more specific you can be with your advertising message and frequency and more specific you can be with your rotation and your narrowing of your audience down to um, the people that you really want to reach most specifically, the better off you are. Okay, so we've spoken about how social media changed the way that we advertise online because you could be so much more specific with your audience and really drill down and get your ads in front of people that you really want to see it 
uh, during the times of day that you want them to see it and the likelihood of them reacting to those ads in a social media environment is better than in a outside of a social media environment like a uh, newspaper website or something like that so that's a huge change and not unlike all things online uh, to do this to advertise through social media marketing is relatively cheap uh, again you could do it for re- relatively cheap now the other big change which I think is much more important in a way because the trends in uh, digital advertising spend will continue to be what they are and the industry will continue to find a way to get more eyeballs in front of uh, people to buy their products in some inventive ways. Snapchat is introducing what I could, what I consider to be a really revolutionary way of advertising uh, in-product snaps. We'll, I'll keep an eye on that and report back to you on that. Um, but the, the more important change, I think, is that social media allowed and allows for a dialogue between you, the individual, and the world at large. That this is truly the real democratization of media in a way that a blog or even the podcast like the one I'm making cannot work because I'm working in a silo. I'm working in a isolated environment wherein people will listen to my podcast and favorite it and make sure that they with bated breath when a new episode comes out they want to hear it and take advantage of the information but that that still requires effort right it still requires effort for me to market the podcast and to market my blog and to attract attention to it and say hey check me out i'm over here i got great information for you it's free just come and check it out you'll love it Um, social media by default is a dialogue platform wherein you are expected to participate as a listener and as a speaker so we're going to do another podcast episode in the future in the near future on the permanency of your social media record uh, and your social media score so i'm not going to get into that right now but just rest assured the dialogue aspect of this the idea that as a professional you can and really should be dialoguing with your audience regularly Uh, now and in the future because if you are dialoguing with your audience and you have a professional Twitter feed and you're commenting on things in your industry that are interesting to you you are making an online record of your interest in your career for years to come your Twitter could live for years, years later and the comments that you've had in 2017, 2016, 2018 could be really influential in 2028. So having a 10-year record on Twitter, assuming Twitter will still be a thing by then, it should be, uh, or having um, a Facebook profile that really showcases what you're about over time. And it's that over time and that extended dialogue and that extended capture of self which makes social media different than any other kind of online marketing and so powerful. Same thing with Pinterest or Instagram or LinkedIn. These all have a chronological quality to them that you can really build out a real profile for yourself that you want the world to see and to respect and to respond to that is custom made by you for you. 
okay? I cannot say how powerful that is. And once again, the, probably the largest benefit of doing this the right way is that it's free. It does not cost you anything to be on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest or LinkedIn or all the above. It's 100% free. And so those are resources that you really, really should be taking advantage of and marketing yourself as a brand entity yourself. Because as we've talked about before, as I've talked about on the blog, uh, the AI and automation economy is coming. It is here and it's gonna start gobbling up jobs and careers and people will be left behind and people will be left holding the bag and looking for work. And so the best way that you can insulate yourself for future career success is prepare your brand today. Prepare your career brand today for success tomorrow. Not for me, don't do it for me, don't do it because I want it for you. Do it for yourself because you're investing in yourself and you're investing in your future and it will pay off. It'll pay off in dividends, I promise you. Okay, this last segment is arguably the most important because this is where I'm gonna make predictions of where digital marketing is going in the future. And by doing so, I want you to at least be keeping your eye on the horizon of what I foresee as being important for you to know. Now, I'll continually do this on this podcast. If you continue to listen to me in the future, I promise you, I will always bring you not just what's worked in the past, but what I see working in the future as things change. And fortunately, things are changing quickly all the time in this realm. So here are a couple brief predictions that I want to make for you that you can use as either a small business entrepreneur or even more importantly, uh, branding yourself for your future career path. My first prediction is that advertising will be less product-driven and much more lifestyle-driven moving forward. So in a completely unrelated concept, which I have never spoken about on my blog or on this podcast, and I will in the future, is my theory of branding hierarchy. And so I have a theory, I call it McAteer's theory of branding hierarchy, wherein you can put yourself anywhere on the spectrum of brand development and know where you are and know where you want to be ultimately and how far you are from your target. Now in that, in the brand hierarchy, uh, lifestyle branding is at the top, the pinnacle of brand success. So if you can successfully transmit yourself as a lifestyle brand, then you really have uh, the real power in the situation. And that's very hard to come by and very hard to keep, but certain brands have figured out how to do it with great success and will continue to have future success and other brands that are able to transmute themselves from being a product to being into a lifestyle will continue to have future success. Okay, so let me repeat that. The first prediction I have is that you will find that in the future, much, much more of the marketing that has just come has nothing to do with products and has everything to do with lifestyle and attitude. Now, that's a statement to make, and you could say, well, why would you say that? Or how do I know that you're right? Those are good questions. So here's why I'm saying it, and here's how I know why I'm right. If you remember at the beginning of this podcast, I talked about how in the beginning of digital marketing, the internet was basically like a virtual sales convention where everybody had a booth, and you'd walk up to the booth, and you'd say, hi, welcome to our booth. 
Here is about us. Here's contact us. Would you like to buy our products? Right? And that's all. Those are the only options you have. Or here's our address and phone number. Would you like to contact us? Right? Now, what has gone by the wayside in the past few years, which used to be huge business, huge dollars, made a lot of money for convention centers all over the country, was conventions. Conventions have really, really, really shrunk in recent years, and the conventions that still exist are not nearly the size and scope that they used to be, in part because the market has changed. People aren't going to go to a convention to get information on brands and products. People aren't going to go in person to learn about something uh, before they purchase. We know now that almost everyone will do internet research for anything before they make a high-ticket purchase. And it doesn't matter if it's a washer-dryer or a car or a house. People do internet research long before they decide to show up in person and put their money down. And the same will be true in the future when it comes to hiring. Nobody's going to hire you because you have the right credentials on your resume without checking you out first and finding out what you've been up to all this time. Who are you really when nobody's looking? And that's going to be one of the changes is that um, it's not going to be product-driven in that your career success will not be product-driven. Your future career success will also be lifestyle-driven based on the lifestyle that you have 24 hours a day, not just on the hours that you're on the clock. My second prediction is this, that we're going to see a dramatic shrinking in social media sharing and privacy, that there's going to be a course correction in social media moving forward, wherein uh, we'll have fewer social media channels and that people will be much more discreet about what they share on those channels than they have been in the past. Uh, I like to think of social media from 2008 to 2000, we'll say, 14, as being like the late 1960s. It was free love. It was, you know, turn on, tune in, and drop out, and give your information away, and connect with everyone, and it's all good, and put whatever you feel out there, because that's all good. That's come to an end. It's not going to happen anymore. I can almost guarantee you that you will start seeing a course correction in the number of social media channels and the frequency of sharing and the quality of sharing will be much more finite moving forward because this is no longer fun and games and social media is no longer just something that is for kids and teenagers and goofballs. It is very serious. And because of that, people will start taking it much, much more seriously. So uh, we've seen this already. Again, here's the question. How can I know you're right? And why are you saying that? Well, one is because we've seen the end of Google+. I don't know if you saw this in the news recently. Uh, If you're on Google+, then you're one of the few in the world that's actually on that platform. I've been on Google+, because I felt it was kind of obligatory. But Google announced this week that they are going to end Google+. So what that means is that they say they're ending it because there is a, a data hack that people's private information was kind of leaked to the Google Plus platform. And because of that, Google was wanting to stop the platform from existing to stop the bleeding, so to speak. I think another reason that they're, they're killing the platform is because nobody's there. I don't know that anybody says, hey man, I'm on Google Plus, come to Google Hangouts. It's just not gonna happen. It's a failed platform. 
and that's one of the ones to go. You'll start to see some other platforms in the future that are going to begin to lose stock and value. Snapchat will also go by the wayside very quickly, I'm predicting. I don't know that, but I'm willing to predict that it's going to go by the wayside. I don't know about the future of Tumblr. I personally like Tumblr. It's a fun social media platform, but it doesn't have any true inherent value. And because of that, I don't know the future of Tumblr is very bright. The social media platforms that will stick around will be Facebook and Twitter and especially Instagram. Instagram will be the Facebook or I'm sorry, will be the social media platform of choice of the future. So if you've not been investing in Instagram, uh, please do because it's a wonderful platform. It's a great way to communicate your message if you know what you're doing. And uh, so check that out. Check out Instagram. And I'll do a separate podcast on how to use Instagram. Uh, it's coming soon. Also, Twitter will be a winner in the future. So if you're investing in Twitter and you're posting a lot on Twitter, continue to post on Twitter. It's not going anywhere. It will be a mainstay for a long time to come because of its uniqueness. And Facebook will be continue to be the Goliath that it is now. And it is no reason to believe that Facebook will not continue to be a real important social media platform moving forward. Uh, now, having said that, Facebook has also been in the trouble recently because they had a huge data hack of 50 million users all over the world, and they admitted that they honestly don't know what the hack was about or what the hackers wanted. And that, to me, spells big trouble because if you got robbed and you don't know what they stole or why they were stealing it, then that puts you at a significant deficit. But rest assured, it's still the biggest social media platform in the world. It still is expanding its products and services into new areas it's never been in before. So continue to invest in Facebook. It's going to stick around. Okay, that's all I have for you for this time. I know I've talked a lot and I've made worn you out. So I apologize if this has been a bit long, but I had a lot to say, a lot that I wanted to share with you. I think it's super important that you get on page one and that you start thinking about your future brand, either as a product service business or entrepreneur, or even so much more importantly, as an individual who expects to work in your career field moving forward in the future, please, please, please invest, invest in yourself and invest in your brand, your personal career brand. Okay, real quickly, I just want to thank you again for listening, taking the time to hear me out and to uh, try to absorb some of the concepts that I'm putting out here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your feedback. If you want to leave me a message or send me an email, uh, please let me know what you uh, think of the show and what's working for you. I always appreciate your feedback and it helps me a lot with how I decide what content to cover next. Follow me on Twitter at GetMeMichaelMack. Follow me on Instagram at GetMeMichaelMack. Stay tuned for more uh, good, smart, right, and simple marketing tips that you can use in your real life to get ahead. Good luck.